0: To this episode of Anesthesia On Air, the podcast from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. My name is Dr Tony Brunning and I'm a consultant anaesthetist at Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust and a newly elected member of College Council. Today I'm joined by Dr Lucinda Williams, one of the ST6 trainees in Birmingham School and we're going to be discussing clinician wellbeing initiatives with a focus on open water and cold water swimming. So welcome Lucinda. Please can we start with you telling us how
1: you got involved in this? Thank you very much for having me. So I'm the Trainee Wellbeing Lead in our department. And as a group, we decided we wanted to start to organise some wellbeing initiatives that moved away from traditional socialising events at work. So it didn't take place in pubs and restaurants. This was partly due to changing views um, in alcohol consumption and partly due to the fact during the pandemic, people were less willing to meet up indoors. And within the department, we decided that we would explore different ways of socialising which focus more on ecotherapy.
0: Can you explain what you mean a bit more about ecotherapy?
1: Ecotherapy is the practice of spending time out in nature um, with the intention of boosting your health and well-being. So, research in human psychology shows that spending time outdoors is nourishing for us, and regular exposure to fractals and natural symmetry can reduce the incidence of anxiety and depression by sixty percent.
0: Interesting. So, can you talk us through some of the things that you try to um, arrange as your department?
1: So we felt the simplest way to encourage exposure to nature was by arranging monthly wellbeing walks. We encouraged people to come along and bring their family, their partners, their dogs and their children. And we set aside time for a decent walk with the option of getting some food together afterwards. And to date, these have been really well attended and have increased in popularity. They combine being outdoors with low intensity exercise and social connectedness, which have all been great for improving wellbeing in the department. Another thing we've done is arrange a chill swim session. Okay so what did that involve? Chill is a non-profit organisation that utilises cold water immersion to help treat anxiety and depression. We organised an information session about the benefits and practicalities of cold water swimming and that was followed by a swim in a local lake. The session took place in November and the water temperature was already below 10 degrees so it was a real challenge for people who weren't used to temperatures like that.
0: Great um I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into the topic of the swimming, both the open and the cold water. Um, So you and I have been undertaking this regularly in a lake in Worcestershire. um, And we wrote an article in January's bulletin in which we posed the question, is swimming in a freezing lake the antidote to modern burnout? And I wonder if you could spend a bit of time explaining a bit about the mental health benefits of this activity.
1: Absolutely. So as well as being a form of ecotherapy that we've already mentioned, Cold water swimming can also boost um, dopamine levels, and it also combats seasonal affective disorder. Obviously, it involves exercise, and that has hugely positive impacts on our physical and our mental health. Overcoming any reticence and making that decision to actually get into cold water can really boost self-esteem and confidence and helps build resilience. And you can't underestimate the value of the social connectedness of the activity and the shared experience of it all.
0: So clearly there are physical benefits to swimming as a form of exercise, regardless of whether you do that um, indoors or outdoors or in whatever temperature. But are there any advantages that are specific to swimming over other forms of physical activity?
1: Yes, absolutely. The hydrodynamic principles of water are what makes swimming a uniquely beneficial form of exercise. Hydrostatic pressure increases venous return and causes displacement of the diaphragm. An increase in preload causes an increase in stroke volume of around 35% and a reduction in heart rate. Systemic vascular resistance also decreases due to a decrease in sympathetic tone. And interestingly, these phenomena persist even once you've left the water. Furthermore, the augmented atrial pressures suppress the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone axis, and the changes have been shown to reduce the incidence of both diabetes and obesity. Swimming also improves pulmonary function by improving lung volumes and breathing techniques, and hydrostatic pressures also reduce the work of breathing during expiration. The buoyancy from immersion in water results in offloading of body weight by up to 75%. It also relaxes joints and aids in the movement of your body, so it's great for your musculoskeletal system.
0: Okay, so that's the sort of physiology of swimming, um, but let's now go through some of the practicalities of open water swimming in particular. What advice would
1: you give someone who was keen to get involved? So it's becoming increasingly popular, so there are various places across the UK where you can try open water swimming. I think if you're interested in cold water swimming, it's probably best not to start in the com- in the really, really cold months of winter, so January and February, when the temperature has been as low as kind of below two degrees we've had. But if you think, we started our course in November when the temperature was just under 10 degrees, and that was a more attainable temperature to introduce yourself to cold water swimming. So a good idea would be to start Around then, or in the earlier months of spring, when the temperature is starting to warm up. I think it's a good idea to do it really regularly and continue as the water temperature drops over the year, and that way you can acclimatise to the cold temperature. Organised activities are a good place to start. It's an activity that we wouldn't recommend you start by going on your own, so we're solo and unsupervised. A good resource is the Outdoor Swimming Society website and they've got lots of information on organised events in each area and safe places if you want to go wild swimming.
0: Thank you. So you mentioned that there's a positive effect from swimming in general and in particular open water swimming in nature. Um, But moving on to think about cold water swimming, is there any additional benefits that are
1: from the cold water exposure itself? Absolutely. So cold water... Um, boosts your dopamine levels by over 500% and it stimulates the release of endorphins. The initial exposure to water is hugely invigorating, but cold water adaptation over time actually results in activation of your parasympathetic nervous system. This modifies your chronic stress response and is associated with a widespread decrease in inflammation. Benefits also include um, an increase in metabolism, improvement in sleep, and it's associated with a natural high. So what about people who want all of these
0: benefits of the cold exposure, but they don't fancy swimming in a lake?
1: Yeah, there are lots of other options. Outdoor cold water swimming is possible in Lido's and pools, even throughout the winter months. And ice baths and cold showers are becoming increasingly popular. And they harness the benefits of cold water swimming or cold water exposure from your own home.
0: So I'd just like to go through a couple of, kind of definitions. Um, what's the difference between open water and wild swimming?
1: So open water swimming is swimming anywhere outdoors. So that could be in a lake, in a reservoir, in the sea or a river. And there are lots of open water swimming clubs and activities arranged throughout the UK. Wild swimming means swimming in groups or individually where there's no formal supervision. And is there a set temperature where it becomes cold water swimming? No, there's no set temperature exactly where it becomes cold water swimming. But there is an endurance event called ice swimming. And this is done when the water is below five degrees and you can only wear a swimming hat, goggles and a standard swimsuit. So kit is an interesting issue in this, isn't it?
0: Um, Do you think that a wetsuit's required to partake in this safely?
1: No, not at all. I think when you go swimming in the winter, you see about 50-50 split of people wearing wetsuits and those who aren't. Um, Some people wear wetsuits throughout the whole year. And there are some people who swim regularly and they don't even own a wetsuit. The wetsuits do add to your buoyancy. Um, But when it comes to cold water swimming, the wetsuit doesn't actually prevent you from getting cold water shock. Um, It does, however, allow you to stay in the water for a bit longer. So if you're keen to swim a really long distance, then a wetsuit can definitely help with that. So since you've mentioned cold
0: water shock, can you explain a little bit about what this is and also how often it happens?
1: So cold water shock describes your body's initial response to being immersed in cold water. um, And it involves an initial really large gasp. And that's followed by hyperventilating and an increase in your heart rate and an increase in blood pressure. During this initial period, it can be really difficult to coordinate your breathing and your movements and actually start swimming safely. And for this reason, it's really important that people don't just jump into cold water and start swimming without first acclimatising to the temperature. Essentially, the water temperature at which you experience cold water shock depends on individual factors and how frequently and recently you've been exposed to such similar temperatures. Um, It's something that most people experience every time they go in the water, though, when you're talking about swimming in the winter. And helpful strategies such as splashing your shoulders and face with water can aid in acclimatisation. So are you happy to share a bit about how cold water shock affects you? Yeah, absolutely. So as an example, I usually get over the cold water shock quite quickly. So when I get into water, um, it only takes me a few minutes before I'm actually quite keen to start swimming and kind of to set off. And I love nothing more than to turn around and see the faces you're pulling, because it obviously takes you an awful lot longer to acclimatise to the the temperature.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, I guess because I take longer to acclimatise, I tend to get in before you, which is something that we've had to do to allow us to both swim off safely together. Um, Particularly during the winter months, it's important that you don't stay in the water too long, um, as obviously you're at risk of hypothermia. And I guess here's probably the time we should mention about the risk of hypothermia, and things to look out for in yourself and in others.
1: Yes, absolutely. It's really important. The longer you stay immersed in cold water, the more likely it is that you're going to start to experience mental confusion and slurred speech and poor movement control and coordination. And all these are really good indicators that really you should have already got out of the water and hypothermia is going to start to set in. It's really important to never set time goals how long you want to stay in the water as well. And you should just get out when you start feeling uncomfortable. One thing that both of us have found is that our hands start to claw as the water gets colder and this has really put limits on the amount of time we can stay stay in the water. But luckily, wetsuit gloves are inexpensive and they're really easy to come by so they've really helped with our claw hands. Yeah, so there are lots of bits of
0: kit that can make open water swimming uh, easier and safer which can be used throughout the year. Um, We've kind of already mentioned and touched upon wetsuits and the gloves but can you talk through any other things that are commonly used, please?
1: So the most pri- The most important priority is safety, so a brightly colored swim hat and a toe float are essential and a tow float is an inflatable buoyancy aid that you strap around your waist and it floats along behind you as you're swimming. The benefits of this are that it increases your visibility and it also gives you something to float to hold on to when you're floating and to give yourself a bit of a rest when you're in the water. Things for added comfort a lot of people choose to wear shoes to provide protection from the bottom of the lake and they also provide warmth. And there are also specialist wetsuit boots you can wear that achieve this as well and there are a few things you need to consider for afterwards it's a really good idea to have a changing surface to stand on to prevent you losing any further heat from conduction and you can get specialist mats for this but lots of people just bring along old bath mats or plastic buckets to stand in and changing towels are used an awful lot these are big hooded towels that you can get changed underneath you can also use specialist changing robes, which are fleece lined, oversized jackets, which are room enough for you to get changed in underneath. And these were described as the most important must have accessory of the year in 2021, which I think reflects the increasing popularity of this pastime. The important thing is to get changed out of your wet clothes as soon as possible and then put on lots of layers to warm up. And lots of people bring bobble hats and hot water bottles for afterwards, as the afterdrop can be significant.
0: So, since you mentioned afterdrop,
1: um, can you explain
0: a little bit what you mean by this?
1: Afterdrop is common after swimming in cold water, and it occurs when you get out and you initially feel fine, and then after a while, you start to get colder and sometimes start shivering and potentially feeling a bit faint. And this is because after exiting the water, your body continues to cool down for another 20 to 30 minutes. This part can give you a real buzz and a release of endorphins and can be the best part, especially when you're sat around chatting with your friends and you'll start to warm up together. I suppose social connectedness is an important part of all of it and where we go it's really not uncommon for there to be 10 or so other anaesthetists from our region also enjoying a swim. So thank you for your
0: time today Lucinda. Um, As one final question, I was going to ask if people don't want to join an organised event and they want to try out wild swimming, are there any regulations or considerations for doing that safely?
1: Your priority really has to be safety. So to get more information you can look at the Outdoor Swimming um, Society website for recommendations of safe places to swim in your local area. We would recommend trying it first at an organised event though as it is safer and it's better supervised. And don't try it alone, and we wouldn't recommend entering the water anywhere unless you're really confident about the temperature and how safe the area is. On the topic of further advice, are there any other tips, Tony, that you can think of that are really important to consider when you're thinking about wild swimming? Um,
0: I think from a safety point of view, if you have any known medical conditions, a family history of cardiovascular conditions, that sort of thing, then do consult your doctor before trying it, and that's particularly important for the cold swimming I think the other thing I say is about uh, sort of staying legal and respecting others. Um, Always make your own judgment about whether to access land and water and obviously don't trespass. Um, In lots of places, uh, sort of swimming rights are based on common law rights of navigation and long established usage. Um, But it's worth making sure that you're kind of confident uh, that you're allowed to be where you're planning to be. And then I guess the final thing would be about sort kind of water quality um and sort of safety around that. So if you do have any kind of cuts or wounds, it's important to keep those covered with waterproof plasters um, and try and avoid areas where there's obviously blue or green algae. On the whole, our uh, rivers and lakes are cleaner today than at any time in living memory, um, and there's a sort of grading system from A to C from the Environment Agency, uh, so you can check the water quality of areas of water near you on their website. And then, I guess make sure you leave no trace and make sure you take away all your litter, etc. And most importantly, enjoy yourself. Lucinda, thank you so much for your time today to come and talk to us about the well-being initiatives and the various aspects of swimming. Um, we're really grateful, so thank you. Thank you.
1: It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: And thank you to everyone who's been listening to this podcast.
2: Thank you for listening to Anesthesia On Air from the Royal College of Anesthetists. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed this episode please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover or you'd like to feature in the podcast, please email podcast at rcoa.ac.uk. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts, as well as videos, e-learning, webinars, and our programme of events and courses, you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon. Please note, all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.